You're listening to the Podcast Detroit Network. Visit www.podcastdetroit.com for more information. Welcome to another episode of Crime of the Mitten. We're your hosts, Shelby and Alia. What better way to gush about crimes without raising eyebrows than to start a podcast on crimes committed in our home state, Michigan? From mysterious missing cases to gruesome murders that left police struggling to stay on the scene, we're giving you the complete insight on what's going on in our mitten state. If you need to satisfy your hunger for true crime cases as much as we do, tune in every Sunday for your weekly dose of mitten crimes. Because this episode may contain information about killings of children, viewer discretion and reader's discretion is advised. Before I start, I want to make a comment that last week, Leah, we said that we were going to go digital and look at us. We are both digital now. (laughs) We are no no longer reading scripts from papers. We are doing it all of our phones. All right. Hello, ladies and gents. Shelby here. And today I would like to talk to you about death. I mean, you kind of knew what you were asking for when you hit that play button. (laughs) We decided to try something new for our episode today. We come across a lot of cases we want to tell you about, but there's just not enough information on it. So we've decided to dedicate one episode out of the month where we bring you short cases that can't quite make a full episode. Honestly, I'm really geeked to do this because when I would search for more cases, I would find some that I immediately had to add on my list off the little description I read. And then that little description is all there is to it. Yeah, no, the description, like, you know, you would think, like, that's, like, the capture, like, that's, like, the capture you win. They was like, no, 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 that's that's, that's the case. You Google 10 other articles and they all the exact same. Exactly. It's literally the same little paragraph, the sorry paragraph, too, where you'd be like, I'm just going to write five sentences. (laughs) Yeah, that kind of paragraph. (laughs) Passing for, like, a first grader when you're learning the right (laughs) Exactly. That's what they look like. Yeah, and it's annoying, but... This episode, we're putting an end to that. Leah and I will go back and forth sharing short cases we've came across while doing our research. And here's Aaliyah to start us off. So, my first case, I honestly thought it was a movie title. Like a movie title or like something that'll just capture you in. It's an actual case. And I had to do it because... Of course. I had to. So, Kip's Pizza and Taco House. No, Kip's Pizza Taco House. <laughs> a and taco house? A pizza taco p- Pizza taco house. Yeah, pizza taco house. Not pizza and taco, just pizza taco house. Never heard of that before. Me either. Okay. And it's in Michigan. So. Is it Michigan? Yeah. Is, uh, okay, cool. I mean, of course. <laughs> It'll, it, okay. <laughs> I had a moment. <laughs> you know, as a big fan of pizza and tacos, uh, Taco Tuesday every week, I of had course. to do this. <laughs> it's only right. Right. But I had to make sure I put it on my list before she'll be added it to hers. Of so, course. Because it's yeah. kind of cutthroat on adding things to our list. <laughs> <laughs> but like I said, I thought it was like a movie title because I saw Pizza Place Murder. That sounds like a movie title. No, it do. It sounds so, exactly like a movie. But a man and his wife owned a pizza taco restaurant in Jackson, Michigan. The couple lived in an apartment attached to the back of the restaurant. So they lived and worked together. Oh, that's a lot. A lot. A lot of interaction. <laughs> a lot. There's no break. No break. Can't even get mad and go to work. <laughs> I'll be down there in two. <laughs> <laughs> 
So they were a seemingly happy or a seemingly happy couple when they had been married for ten years. There were plenty of speculations, but it's unknown exactly why he did it. But July nineteen ninety nine, Arts beat his wife with a metal pipe as she was sitting on the couch in their home. He placed her in a sleeping bag and took her to the restaurant where he dismembered her body. Then baked, broiled, and fried her corpse over two days. That's a little excessive, don't you think? Yes. <laughs> oh, wow. I'm getting like Jeffrey Dahmer, <laughs> Ted Bundy, all those all kind of vibes, mixed all mixed in one. Overkill. So, um... Patricia's family called to check on in on her because they hadn't heard of her in those from her in those two days. Mm-hmm. And her husband basically just said, like, they got into an argument and she left in near Lincoln. But they knew that was a lie because they had just sold the Lincoln because they were having money issues. So mm. she talks to her family, so she let them know, like, we had to yeah, sell Yeah, like, the we car. recently sold the car. Right. And, like, you know, that just comes up in, like, regular conversation like, like yeah because people gonna even ask though like yeah hey, what'd what you do with the car? the car yeah no we sold it now. so okay cool not like right wasn't making yourself look too good <laughs> no so you know they sold they they had to sell the car so mm-hmm. her family's like yeah that's not true so they filed a missing persons report when the police arrived at the home to question him he was carrying a box and then set it on the neighbor's porch on the neighbor's porch the neighbor's like porch. not my problem Basically. Wow, he's like somebody's gonna go down for this, but it ain't me. <laughs> it's not gonna be me. I would be p- mad to be that neighbor. Like you gonna bring this to my front step? Wow. Okay. So after questioning, the police went over to check inside the box, and there was a human skull in flesh. Wow, just in the box that he sat on the neighbor's porch. That is messed up. Right. They went in the kitchen of the restaurant and noticed. Burnt flesh on the counter. The crime lab sprayed um, luminol in the, like all over the kitchen and mm-hmm. found to check for blood. And they noticed it was like the entire kitchen was lit up. Lit up like a Christmas tree. So it was blood all over the kitchen. Wow. Ars was arrested and on suspicion of a murder. During his trial, witnesses came forward saying that Arts was obsessed with murder and claimed that years ago he explained to them how he would go about disposing a body. So he told them how he would do it? And then did it. And then did it. Like, <laughs> I know I told you already this is how I'm going to do it. But the thing but is, it's I'm not even like... Anyway, I'm it, not going to switch up the plan. Not even that. It's just like, you told someone. Like, that's a bold thing to do. And then to be like, like did if that's bold move to do. Like, yeah. you're going to do something. Keep it to yourself. Keep it to yourself. That's how Don't you get caught. Don't just go telling everybody. Right. Arts um, allegedly said that he would cut up the body, boil the parts, and to get rid of all the evidence. Others claim that months before murdering his wife, he... <laughs> He questioned, he questioned how he could kill his wife. Like, just going around asking people, like, hey. He was doing a do poll this? on the street. Like, you know how they be doing those, like, interviews and stuff like that? <laughs> Random questions like, what secrets that you never told your mom? Hey, so if you was to kill your wife, hypothetically. How would um, you do it? How you, that is, and no one group guy got suspicious off of that and was just like, yeah, maybe we should report maybe this we guy. report him. Do, like, where's your wife at? 
that no, that's he was bold. He was a bold man. Super bold. Yeah, he was a very curious man. As I, I also want to add. <laughs> so there were many speculations as to why Arts murdered his wife. One of the facts that um, he had surgery for a blood clot on his brain in June, like just a couple weeks before mm-hmm. he killed her. He killed Patricia. Right. Some of Patricia's family members believe that he suffered from brain damage, like post-surgery. Mm-hmm. Like he didn't remember, really remember who they were. And he, um, oh, he couldn't read and write well. So, so they it, just. After the brain injury? After the, after the surgery, yeah. Oh, wow. So it kind of seemed like it was like a, a pretty serious one if like it affected things like mm-hmm. that. Another, um, another was that he was taking Prozac on a regular basis for his depression. Mm-hmm. And after the doctors discovered the blood clot, he had to stop taking the, the Prozac until after the surgery. And there could be harsh side effects if you just stop taking antidepressants, yeah. like, all of a sudden. Just, like, cold turkey. Yeah. So, there was you could have suicidal thoughts, anxiety, mood swings, like, stuff like that. And so, that's, of course, they're, like... It could have been this. Mm-hmm. It kind of drives me crazy how people always try to look for, like, a mental illness. Mm-hmm. When, like, something happens, it's they're, like, like, yeah, like, oh, well, he had a brain injury when he was, like, two. <laughs> and they're, like, well, he lived this... Basically, like you know, this this life, and then like all of a sudden, it's like it just kicked. Like I'm not saying like it's not possible, but it's just like that's everyone always goes back to like everyone always has a brain injury in video games. Yeah. Oh yeah, that's another one. (laughs) So like everybody just always goes back goes to the excuse of like there it must have been because of a brain injury. No, some people are just sick, or like some people just snap. Yeah. But um, he was. They also say he was paranoid that his wife was trying to kill him with bug spray. Hmm. So, I'm pretty sure she could have found better a lot, ways. yeah, a lot quicker ways. Because <laughs> if she was trying, obviously he wasn't doing much. <laughs> he was paranoid, the depression, the the brain clot, all of that, the mm-hmm. blood clot. So, according to his attorney, the paranoia was due to uh, was due to trauma in his brain, which made him suffer from delusions. Others mentioned that his wife had an issue with his usage of marijuana, which started an argument and eventually led to her death. See, now they're making people who smoke uh, marijuana look bad now. Like, we just, like, we, you just blow up and stuff. That <laughs> It's you always that one person that always messes it up for the rest of us. And they're like, well, you know what? <laughs> we need to be like, maybe we need to put an end to it then. Cause if it, it's always that one person. Oh, gosh. <laughs> Like, they're already looking for reasons to be like, the only reason it was legalized is so that people, I mean, that the government could tax off of it. If it was no other way, they <laughs> would use any, they would make it. anything, like, this right here would have been the reason they like, yeah, we're just going to keep it illegal. <laughs> <laughs> well, it happened in 99, and look where we are. Yeah. 11 years later. Very true. It was also thought... That he killed Patricia because of his hallucinations. And when he looked at her, he saw the devil. Yeah. This, okay. I mean, I'm pretty sure a lot of husbands feel that way about their wife sometimes. But you don't see them killing them. <laughs> killing them. Cooking them and, and broiling their skin. Okay. Cool. <sighs> right. Art's lawyer said that Art's was guilty 
but that he should not be found guilty for, by reason of insanity. He said that he was immense, that he was mentally ill and suffered from bleeding on the brain. Jurors dis- disagreed with the attorney, and in March of 2001, Arts was given life without parole sentence. He is incarcerated in Gus Harrison Co- Correctional Facility in Adrian, Michigan. In 2008, he requested for a new trial under the premise that he was suffering from marijuana psychosis. The fact that that his use of marijuana was mentioned during the court testimony, it was never questioned whether it could cause, um, it could have been a cause for the crime or not. Arch tried getting a new trial, but was unsuccessful and his appeal was denied. Before we move on. Marijuana does not it does not cause you to rage out. I thought it, it, the most you want to do is attack a fridge. <laughs> that's all. The only thing that's not it's safe not when you when you smoke marijuana is Twinkies. <laughs> that's it. <laughs> so the fact that to use that that okay, we don't yeah, li- we don't like you, arts. <laughs> you can't sit with us. <laughs> wow. Okay, so. The, um, I first heard about the oh, so the case I'm going to do the short case I found is about Juwan Numar Deering, and I first heard about Juwan uh, Deering from an article that popped up in the suggestions when I was doing research on the missing Skelton's brothers case, which if you haven't heard that episode, you guys should check it out. What drew me to the Deering case was the fact that he set out set a house on fire and murdered people all over two hundred dollar drug deal, and that was like literally. Like the cap, like that was the caption. Yeah. So that was like the caption of it, like the little three sentences mm-hmm. we were talking about. That was that. That was it. Then I began to really look into this case and I admit I was not ready for what I found out. On April 6th, back in 2000, in Royal Oak Township, a boy by the name of Eugene Deere was celebrating his sixth birthday. Celebrating his birthday with him were his siblings, Talia, Craig, Aaron, four more siblings who names I couldn't find, and their cousin, Michelle Frame. I remember having birthday parties like this growing up, and they were lit. (laughs) Especially because I have a big family already. And so when my cousin came over, we knew, like, for sure it was about to be a good time. time. Yes, I can imagine how much fun these kids were having. Around 11 p.m. that night, the family porch was doused in charcoal and lighter fluid and ignited, causing the dean's home to catch fire. Marie Dean was able to escape the house with four of her children. Rescuers were able to pull Eugene, Craig, and Aaron from the fire, but they later died. Talia and Michelle were upstairs in the bedroom and died from smoke ventilation. As if this wasn't heartbreaking enough for not only Marie Dean and Michelle's dad, they had to wait six years for justice to be served for the murder of their children. Investigators had someone in mind, but they didn't act quick on it. Which this would cause like a like a, a lot of people like this would drew attention to the cases because mm-hmm. people were like, why did it take six years for anything to be for done? Yeah. So several months later, Deering was jailed for resisting arrest during a traffic stop. An informant was put in the same cell as Deering in hopes he could get something out of him about the dean's home murder. Deering actually told the informant that he was working on an alibi and that he wanted to take antidepressants to throw off a polygraph. What? Yeah, just just pillow talk, <laughs> just a little pillow talk, you know. But this wasn't enough for investigators to act on it. I guess 
2003, Daring was jailed again, but this time for a probation violation. Another informant was sent in to try to get information out of him about the Dean's home fire. This time, the informant was able to get a lot more out of him than the first one. Daring told him that he only wanted to send a message to Big Mike and that he never meant to harm any kids. Now, Big Mike was the kid's father, and apparently he was the one who owed Daring $200 over some drugs. So he set their house on fire for $200. $200 in drugs. Like, the $200. Like, but, the, like, move on. Like, you don't even know if you're going to really get your target. Right. It's a whole house, a whole family. Mm-hmm. Like, it's like you're not even taking in consideration the neighbor, like, you know, the houses next to it and no. stuff. Like, no. So something that made my stomach drop when reading this was that Big Mike wasn't even at the home at the time of the fire. He was in rehab being treated for his drug addiction. And a month after the fire that killed four out of eight of his kids, he died due to heart-related problems. Wow. In 2006, Darren was finally taken into custody for murder and arson. The bailiff told authorities that he overheard Deering say that the jailhouse snitches, the jailhouse snitches, uh, wouldn't leave jail alive. So it was like he really had loose lips on uh, about everything. Like, Every, like he, he talked told. to the informants, he making comments to the bailiff. Like he was just a talkative guy. I wonder if he was a Capricorn. <laughs> Capricorns are really talkative. <laughs> Three informants testified against Deering. One stating he said, I didn't mean for them damn kids to die. Twenty one yeah, that was it's and it is insensitive. It's like when you go back and you repeat it, it's like you really don't wow. sound remorseful. It's At just all. like shit. It, it, it happened. They got caught in a crossfire. Ugh, like a little more Try compassion. Next time. Right. So twenty one people who were family and friends and people who just hung around Deering on a daily basis testified as well. They stated that Deering had admitted that he was tired of Big Mike bullshitting him. During the trial, Deering seemed overwhelmed by the seriousness of the charges he was facing. When he was picked up the last time, he thought it was for another parole violation. Didn't even know that he was getting arrested. Because obviously, he's like, I didn't got away with it. It's six years now. It's not even his head anymore. And although he had a rap sheet with crimes like possession of narcotics and, <laughs> yeah, and fleeing authorities... Murder was now being added to it, and that's a much serious crime. Years later. Yeah, years later at that. The verdict was delayed two hours so that Marie Dean and Michelle's father could hear. The judge's heart broke when he realized that it was Eugene's sixth birthday and that he didn't even get 24 hours to be six. No. Deering was charged with five counts of murder and one count of arson. First-degree murder is the most serious criminal charge in Michigan law and is punishable by mandatory life in prison without possibility for parole. So Deering, of course, was sentenced to life in prison. Life in prison. The case gained a little notoriety from what people said were the county's failure to pursue Deering after like it took six years. It was said that charges were only brought up after a certain prosecuting attorney resigned after allegations of professional misconduct. Investigators believe that he might have buried Daring's case, but couldn't come up with a reason why. Whatever the reason is, I'm just glad justice was finally served for Talia, Craig, Aaron, Eugene, and Michelle. Yeah. I mean, it took forever, but it at took, least it was done. Yeah, it took six years, but sometimes it's just like, as long as it, it's done. It's, it's like done. somebody is paying for it. Like, he shouldn't be able to see the light of day. No. At all. 
Especially because he talked so much about it. It's not mm-hmm. like he was—he didn't even care that he did it. He wasn't even like a remorseful one, like you yeah. know, like the or like like I'm gonna keep it to myself. And I feel like when you go to jail and you talk about like, because I feel like in jail, in like prison and stuff, it's serious when you do certain crimes, and they will it's like involving kids, especially. So you just went in there just blabbing at the mouth, like, <laughs> like oh yeah, what you here for? Oh yeah, I did this, 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 and this. Oh. Right, like. So you want to then at the same up time, the story, didn't right? nobody ever tell you to like your mom would be like, like shut your mouth, like shut up. <laughs> talk too much. Yeah, you do. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, but I mean, like in the sake that it did give the it, it was justice for the family. Like, mm-hmm. thank goodness he did run his mouth. But you like you he, he better not ever open his mouth to be like like how did this happen to me? I yeah, <laughs> like at all. Nobody ever told him secrets, right? <laughs> <laughs> he cannot hold water. <laughs> So my last case is about Eric Cross. Eric Cross was 16 years old and he was him, him and his family were new to the small town in Vicksburg, Michigan. On the night of June 26, 1983, Eric got ready to go to a graduation party. It was $2 to get in, then all you can all you can drink once you're actually in. Turn up. That's not like death. <laughs> That sounds like the place I want to be. <laughs> Ten I can like tell a huge difference in like hanging out with my twenty-two year old, twenty-two, twenty-three year old friends, and then hanging out with our twenty-one year old friends. <laughs> it's such a huge. Difference. It is a big difference. A year is a big like, difference. All right, it's nap time. Like what y'all mean, nap time? Let's go. No, I my, just want to take a nap. My pre-game, my pre-game now is a nap. Is so a nap. it's like, oh, if I don't take this pre-game nap, I'm not going. <laughs> I'm not going nowhere. Like, At just, all. Just let me get. The, y'all so lame. Like I just, I just asked for a 20 minute nap. That's all I wanted. <laughs> Maybe 15. <laughs> it's Tuesday, Gino. <laughs> I gotta work in the morning. Yeah, but they were 16, so of course they like all pumped up, well, 16 through 18, they all pumped up, ready to go drink for the whole night. Not me. <laughs> <laughs> Eric was really close to his younger sister, Jackie. Jackie knew about the party, but of course his parents did not. Mm-hmm. So the party was at a, at a lake house about a mile away from his home, and it was a big party, like people from... Indiana were coming up to this party like it was oh, like, like Project really, X type of was, I actually put your address on a radio station kind of party. <laughs> it was a big party. So Eric had a good time at the party with his friends and he walked home from the party that night but never made it into his house. He got drunk during he was drunk during the night the dark walk home at 2 a.m. and maybe not Maybe drunk enough for him not to realize that someone was following him. Mm. His father heard Eric at the door that morning and rolled back over to go back to sleep, not realizing that Eric never even made it into the house. The door was locked, so Eric was locked out. No one knows what actually happened next other than Eric and the people who did it to him. Ted Cross, Eric's father, was was waking up or was woken up around 5 a.m. by a car turning around in his driveway. It was a loud car, like the muffler was knee repairing or just wasn't mm-hmm. there at all. You ever hear that side of baby song? He's like, I can hear him coming because it's car loud. <laughs> 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 I 
who would have ever knew you could Michigan quote reference. That's who, just a Detroit reference. <laughs> who ever knew that we could incorporate Sada Baby into our True Kind podcast just now? <laughs> Epic moment. We need to write, write this down. <laughs> write this down. <laughs> and you didn't even have this on camera. You know what? <laughs> I didn't even record it. God. <laughs> he got up to go outside to get the newspaper. As he went down the walkway, he noticed Eric's shoe in the street. As he got closer, he noticed his son's body in a ditch in front of their home. All of his belongings were scattered along the road. Taya ran back into the house to get his wife. She went out with a blanket to wrap Eric up. They went to the neighbor who worked in the medical field in hopes that they could help her son, but they couldn't help. Eric was dead. The, amb- the ambulance came, and they also tried to save him. Ted and Mary Lou Cross had to break the news to their young daughter about her big brothers that she was so close to, who she was so close to. She knew without them having even said anything to her, she knew her brother was gone. Mm, they just had like a feeling just that feeling when sheriffs arrived they knew it was more than just a hit and run <clears throat> there was so much evidence stretched stretched across the road neighbors saw a dark colored car with the noisy muffler what there there were there were three people in the car two men and a woman and a woman all three were white when the neighbor saw the car one of the three in the car yelled they saw us. No one at the no one at the party that night, the night before, was really willing to give police any information. They were all underage, right? So they're at like a drinking party. Yeah. So they're like, yeah, my no, parents probably no. didn't, didn't even know half the ki- majority of those kids were even there. So even if they didn't get in trouble with the police, they still had their parents. Mm-hmm. Who would not be happy at all with oh. him being at a drinking party? An all-you-can-drink party? All-you-can-drink party for $2. Two, honestly, I think the parents would be more peed off that they didn't have anything for them like that, too. I'd be insulted if my kid was like, yeah, I was at a $2 party. I, you didn't get... Where was mine? <laughs> like, where was... This shouldn't even be for y'all. Like, this is... Who's creating these events? <laughs> Who supplied this event? Very true. Very true. But, yeah, I, I can see why, like, they struggle with, like, cooperation for yeah. sure. Yeah. Eric wasn't just run over. He was beaten. He was tied up around the neck. He had cu- he had a cut on his back, and his legs were broken. That's a lot for, like, a, mm-hmm. for it to just be a hit and run. And he was dragged by a car. Wow. Police follow every lead, had many tips called in, and interviewed many people. The one name that was mentioned plenty of times was Brett Spalding. Brett went to the school went to school with Eric. He attended the party with his girlfriend Amber Thomas. Many witnesses say that Eric and Amber were flirting, and Brett wasn't happy with it. It was said that Brett pushed Eric because of it. Brett Spalding was said to be the bully and then kind of out of control. The dark-colored mid-sized car that the Cross's neighbor described was the same kind of car that Brett had. Mm. The car That car suddenly disappeared after that party, possibly given to a family member out of state. Out of nowhere, you just being generous. Just give your car away. Mm-hmm. I don't see people just giving out cars like that. Right. There's not, can- not pieces of candy. 
<laughs> especially like at that age too. At that like, age, you are not giving up. It's your not. Car. Yeah, it's not like you have like. I oh, I can get another one. Like, <laughs> all right, grandma just gonna have to wait because I need my car. <laughs> exactly, you, grandma shouldn't be driving. <laughs> <laughs> Police searched all over for his car. Brett was at the party with both his girlfriend and Bill Cook. Bill Cook was also a friend, was also friends with Eric. And he said that he and Eric got separated that night of the party. Bill left with his girlfriend, then spent the night at the Spalding home. Eric's family waited for years for to hear something from the police. But they got nothing. Years passed, still nothing. In 2001, close to two decades later, the Kalamazoo uh, County Police took a look at took a look into the cold case. The now adults who were teens when it happened still weren't talking. They That's worked because you would think like, all right, you, your parents aren't harboring over right. you and stuff like that. I'm it's pretty sure it's been even you. Like I would hope you had a guilty con- uh, conscience, so you could say something. Just just tell now, it's, right? It's, y'all all grown. Yeah, it's, help. <laughs> I'm sure at this point your parents knew you were at that party. Oh yeah, you got caught like a two like they they knew the night they came home and their kids was like <laughs> the kids was topsy turvy. So just say, speak up. They worked for a year on the case before they let it go. They still had nothing. They still did not have the murder weapon. In 2010, Eric's sister started a Facebook page for Eric. The page gained over 600 friends. It was so many years later, everyone thought the case was closed. Everyone knew who who drove the dark color car that night. Everyone knew knew what had happened, but none of them but none of that could be proven in court. Right. So it's just so, like like those like the town knows, but like it's, no it's just like it it's just proved. like town it's news, just, right. right? Like we just like we all know what happened, but even, even everybody happen. that like moved away from the town after the Facebook page was open, everybody was shocked because they thought it was over with. Right? Wow. The main suspects in Eric's, Eric's case were Brett Spalding, his father Brian Spalding Sr., Amber Thomas, Tim Martin, and Tim Cook. Hmm. Brett's father was a suspect because. If the car really was given away or mm-hmm. disappeared, no matter where it was, Dad, Dad has he has something. And that's like getting rid of the evidence. Right yeah, there. and then even if he didn't even like help initially with the car, where's your, where's where's your car at? Where's the car? You, you don't know where your son's car is. All of a sudden, you need a rides again. No, where where is your car? <laughs> and it, you can't even say that like it's like a baseball hat or something. You'd be like, I let my friend borrow it for three weeks now. I mean, my brother asked me to borrow, like, my car for two weeks before. And I was like, you openly ask people that question? But, <laughs> like, if, if your kid's car disappeared, I'm definitely sure you're going to notice that. You, you notice your that's kid's a big, car that's no a, longer there. That's a big investment that's just missing out of the driveway. <laughs> Brett was arrested in 2016 for five months, but had nothing to do with Eric's case. This wasn't Brett's first arrest. He was constantly in and out of prison. During his time in prison, they police still couldn't find any proof to keep him any longer for Eric's murder. Anytime Brett has to go to court for anything, a group of people wearing shirts saying justice for Eric Cross show up to court just to remind 
just to remind him, like, we know you mm-hmm. did it, and one day you will get caught. Still making fake, like, no, we didn't get over We, You still need to pay for mm-hmm. it. And a constant reminder, as they should. Good for them. So, the last case I'm, we're going to talk about is Christopher James Dankovich. And it's crazy because, like, my mom was in the room with me when I, like, was reading about this case mm-hmm. a little bit. And, like, she, like, looked up and was like, WTF. Like, <laughs> because it definitely, like, you can see why the caption of it got my attention. So 16-year-old Christopher James Dankovich, and sorry if I'm saying his name wrong, to many was far from violent, or so they thought, until one day, April 24th, 2005 to be exact, Christopher stabbed his mother 111 times in the head, eyes, neck, and back in their home in Rochester. But why? That is always the golden question in true crime. Well, in life in general. See, at the time, Christopher's mother, Diane Michelle, caught him watching porn and also caught wind that he was browsing websites focused on making weapons. You know? Oh, that's one extreme to the next one. <laughs> it really is. Like, you know, at first, because at first when they first said, like, he was watching, like, porn. I was like, okay, well, like, he's at that age and it's like that. But then she said that, and I was like, oh, no, no, no. I see why she was like, that. No, that's concerning. Yeah, give me the computer. <laughs> like, let me try to vote. <laughs> you you don't know. You don't. You can't handle that responsibility yet. So Christopher's um, mother finds out that he she catches wind of this. And I even read that he either made or attempted to make a weapon that projected items like a um, pipe. At gunpowder speed. Like, so he put a, huh? like a pipe. He made this, like, this, it was like a gun pretty much, but it shot out a pipe instead. Is there a picture of this somewhere? You know what? I couldn't find one. Great. The, you know, the, the, the lovely benefits of having a short case episode, because you can't find nothing. I was like, this is the kind of stuff that people need to see. <laughs> I'm like, cause, I mean, not to, like, to give notes, but, like, what does it look like? <laughs> what does it look like? <laughs> How did you accomplish that? So... It was claimed that the reason for these searches were not for what you would think a 16-year-old boy would want to do. Which, I mean, we already just kind of drew up some conclusions. Right. He wanted to save the babies, and that means getting rid of abortion, or at least people who support it. When Christopher's mother confronted him about these findings, he lashed out, stabbed her 111 times, and fled the home in his mom's white Astro van with no license. So he was just going to make, make the great escape. Didn't think anybody was going to be looking for her truck and he get pulled over. He just licenses the registration. Like, I'm, I don't even think he thought about. No, he just. That. No. Nope. So Christopher ran off to a family cabin in Roscommon County around 8 a.m. Diane's mother. So he didn't even go far. No, he didn't go far. You will. If you're going to run, you got to run for real. Like. Aaliyah, he probably didn't know how to drive far. <laughs> he started being like, oh, 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 this is a lot harder than Grand Theft Auto. <laughs> <laughs> you can't really hit people in Grand Theft I mean, you know, in real life. So, Diane, um, her mother finds the body of her daughter after Christopher's father asks her to stop by and check on Diane after not being able to get in contact with her. Her body was laying in the family's foyer with a tarp partially covering her body. Police were able to collect a blue hand, a blue handled knife with blood and hair on it, bloody clothes in the laundry room, and blood droplets and blood in the sink as well. So he was bad at all of this. He did not. No, he. You know what? He's sixteen. He's barely cleaning up his room, let alone a crime scene. But if you watching, if you googling all of this stuff, and I'm sure he was watching stuff, like 
You would think he had more sense than this. You know, some people like to skip through certain parts of like videos. You probably skip through cleanup every time. The, the cleanup and the that, running part. Like, y- yeah. <laughs> like, this, it wasn't like, and this was definitely like a rash, like spare the moment kind of lash out because like no thought was put into this. Nothing. Like, police immediately start the hunt for Christopher. Police feared that not only was he a threat to others, but a threat to himself as well. The next day, the van was spotted at the cabin by <laughs> authorities. And so they they called, you know, they called other, like, called in backup and told them, like, hey, he he's at this cabin. We got him. Yeah. So before going into the cabin, police actually called Christopher's phone, but there was no answer. Which was so friendly. <laughs> then, they then approached the cabin, calling out on a bullhorn to Christopher. He surrendered without giving the police any problem. I mean, he kind of... It's kind of like he had a sign that said, I'm right here. I'm here. So you he couldn't go out. Yeah. His mother's car and went to the family. You didn't hide it when you parked cabin, it. Think he wasn't going to get caught. That's not like the first place they think like you got any properties that he might go to. <laughs> so Christopher said that he had planned on going south into hiding, which was pretty evident because his freshly dyed blue hair was shaved off. Yeah, I'm honestly I can't even look at him like crazy because you know I do all these crazy dyes. So when I see Nick, you dye your hair, but Shelby, you you're not killing nobody when you dye your hair. Yeah, I know that. I'm not shaving it off either. <laughs> like, that is very true. So Christopher was brought to Oakland County Jail via helicopter for some reason, and yeah, so I just he got a, a helicopter ride. I never been on a helicopter before. I ain't killing nobody. That, that. So despite what had happened, Christopher's family supported him 100% through things. And although many described him as someone they'd at least expect to be violent, he was held with no bond. He was a flight risk. I mean, I, I he, he ran the first not. time. Yeah. Christopher's lawyer believed that this was a mental health issue. How did he end up with a lawyer? Court appointed. Or, you know, I think the family actually paid for a lawyer. Because the family, the family was still support. Like they, although it was like you know, you killed your mother. They were still there with him the entire time. Like in a courtroom, they would yell like, "We love you" and stuff I like. I understand that. the love, but like, if you did it, you did it. You gotta go. Cause I'm now I'm scared for my life. You're not about to live with me, get in an argument with me, and I'd be dead. Very true. So Christopher's lawyer had believed that it was um, a mental issue, and he con- constantly mentioned an insanity defense. A plea deal for 22 and a half years was rejected by the judge because he stated that it was too light for the crime committed. In the end, though, Christopher was charged with second degree murder, not premeditated. And instead of going to trial, Christopher really just wanted to own up to what he did and face his punishment. A psychologist stated that he was going to be a threat once out due to the fact that he strongly believed in what he stood for and for and will lash out on anyone who stands in his way like he did with his mother. Which is a pretty good, obviously, like good, you know, like kind of guess theory. Christopher was charged as an adult and is currently serving a sentence of twenty-five to thirty-seven years and will be eligible for parole in twenty thirty. And although there weren't many articles on Christopher, I did stumble over this site called Prison Writers, where Christopher published short stories about his experience being in prison at a young age. And I read through most of the stories already, and they're actually really worth taking a look into. Like, they were actually pretty interesting. Yeah, no, they were actually, like, he he was, like, they were well written, and, like, they were pretty good stories. Like, they're really short, though, too, so it was, like, easy to Mm -hmm. go through them, too. You know, obviously, we had to have, like, short stories because we got to do so much research all the time. It's like, 
I don't have time to sit here and read. I don't. I don't even have time to watch TV. I know. I I know. (laughs) We'll leave a link to that on our website uh, as well, though. So we hope you guys enjoyed our short case episode. And next month we're going to bring, what, four more? We did four 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 more more. cases to you guys that can't quite make enough information for their own hour. And it was actually cool because I know Leah been talking about this pizza case for a while now. This pizza taco yeah, I thing, and it was I, a real, I thought it was a long case. So I thought it was going to be one of my real yeah. Cases you know time. what you did. <laughs> so I was like, I eventually wanted to hear about that though. So we're going to do a question today, and the generator pulled up number. And why don't we ever get like number one or two? I, I don't know. I literally just put in the generator <laughs> one to three thousand. <laughs> Okay, so the number is 2,962. There are so many smaller numbers. So what celebrity would you want as one of your BFFs? Do we consider each other celebrities? Because I'll just say, Leah, you could be my best friend. (laughs) We're not there yet. (laughs) If I could have a celebrity for a best friend, I think it would be like, it would be Rihanna. Honestly? Yeah. Yeah. Rihanna would be lit. Gotta be lit. Like when she did, when she, I forgot what award show she was at, and she walked, they called her name. No, they they did something. They wouldn't do something for her, and she took a stack of money and threw it in their face, like, mm, and walked on the stage. And I was like, period. <laughs> <laughs> I wish I could have that much money to throw that into somebody's face. Like, mm, goals. I don't like how you're talking to me. <laughs> but yeah, I would definitely do uh, Rihanna. That All right. Way. Well, since she got Rihanna. <laughs> and then, plus, you know, like, I don't know. She just seemed lit. Like, it just be, hey, B, what's up? She She's a great godmother, too. Yeah. She be posting mm-hmm. that baby like it's her own. <laughs> I thought she had a kid. I was like, oh, that's the god baby. So, no, I. She be posting like it's her own baby. Mm-hmm. So, yep, she be my godmom, too. Like, remember like, that, that was uh, me with my little cousin? Yeah, it was. <laughs> I had texted you and like, I hey. That would have been me with her sister, but. Uh, her mom was like, okay, we're going to limit her posting on social media. Like, her her mom doesn't even post, like, I, it, we're just going to limit posting on social media. So I'm like, okay, I post for their birthdays <laughs> and when I'm with them. I guess. <laughs> and then at 17, all I was using was Instagram. I didn't have Snapchat yet. So all her pictures were on Instagram. <laughs> Every picture I had of her went on Instagram. That's funny. But now I can post the other one, but I use Snapchat. So I always post, but it's on Snapchat. It's, it's not there for long. <laughs> so who would you do? Um, my pick would be maybe Ari Lennox. Mm. I, she's hilarious. Like her Instagram lives. I don't really watch are, her lives. They're hilarious. <laughs> like it makes you want to be her friend just because she she's. she's oh wait, funny. can I go back? I want to be Kodak Black's friend. <laughs> He's funny. He is. He's funny. If we talking about like funny friends, yeah. <laughs> Like, Ari just really seems really entertaining. Like, she's super down. That she's just funny. And, like, dingy. I respect so it. Like, it. <laughs> we're on, like, the same the same level of, like, dingyness. I respect it. <laughs> oh, boy. Okay. You don't use Twitter. I would have told you to go follow. She has, like, people really record her lives and post them to this Twitter page. And yeah. it's, like, the whole Twitter feed is full of, like, different clips from her lives because they're just so funny. Yeah, I got it. Now I'm going to make a Twitter just for this. <laughs> cool. Got it. On the agenda. <laughs> uh, all right. Oh, and also we forgot to mention that we're on Apple and Spotify now. Yeah. Pretty so that's cool. awesome. Turn so- it. 
Hmm? Oh, yeah, we're pretty much everywhere. Oh, everywhere. I'm sorry. Yeah, turn up. That's even better. The turn up got, you see how the, like the turn up got like even better? Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, check us out on those. And, you know, we'll see, we'll talk to you guys next week. Yeah. Thank you for listening to Crime in the Mid. You can find the transcript, pictures we've discussed, and the links to all of our references on our website at www.crimeinthemitten.com. There you can also find the links to our social media. If you have a case you'd like us to discuss, go to the go to the contact us page of the website and leave a suggestion. Each month we'll choose one of one suggestion for an episode.